In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there. Good morning. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. They call me with a mouthful of bagels. God. Anyway, my guest this morning is Ted Brady, who is the executive director of the Vermont League of Cities and Towns, and I'm thrilled to have him in studio. Thank you for coming in. Hey, Pat, when you offer a bagel, I will show up. <laughs> it's, I, have a, I have this deal. I do bagel and coffee for the nine to teners, and if they can, I do lunch from 10 to 11 across next door at the bagel shop. So <laughs> we live at Casey Bagels. They make, them, they make them the real way, boil them in water like... Yeah, my son believes that Casey has uh, the best breakfast sandwich in Vermont. That's what I have every morning. (laughs) Exactly. Well, anyway, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here in the studio. I was just reading. We thought Ted was going to be a little late, so I pulled up your bio. And that's where we first met when you were working with uh, Senator Leahy. Yes. And I had got only knows what job I had at the time. But You uh, labor at the point, perhaps? Oh, that that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? So how are you joining? You were there two years at the it's league. It's been three this March, oh. uh, which uh, it's been a wild ride, a crazy time with the pandemic and uh, ARPA and uh, the federal assistance, the infrastructure bill, a lot happening at the municipal level. So it's been a fun place sure. to be. I bet it has been. Now, are you still in the city center building? Yeah, we got really lucky through the flood. Uh, the water came right up to our window. Ah. And uh, we, city center, that first floor didn't flood, which was uh, a real blessing. But it was hard to see what happened around us. And it's nice to see Montpelier rebuilding yeah. and see our neighbors come back on the uh at the corner of State and Maine, it's been... It's They've been, been working really hard, and we've been talking on this show that even though it looks okay, it still isn't. Lots of stuff happening behind the scenes, especially for the business owners. Yeah, the business owners, and then, you know, the municipalities themselves. Yeah. We're in the legislature this year uh, fighting for some relief for municipalities. You know, the uh, legislature and the governor uh, immediately put out $20 million for businesses, but uh, they haven't put any money out huh. for municipalities. and. You're looking at uh, Montpelier and Barry that have more than a million dollars, almost two million dollars, you know, in a tax deficit this year uh, from yep. the flooding. They're not receiving revenues. They've had to abate taxes because people's homes and businesses were right. damaged. And you know, Montpelier's at the point where they're, they're, you know, they're not moving snow piles. They're not making color copies. Their budget is that tight wow. this year. And uh, we're working in the legislature to try to find them a little uh, relief. And relief for communities like Ludlow and Johnson that had huge sewer systems destroyed. And they lost revenue there. And they've had a lot of unexpected costs. So uh, we're hoping that the legislature comes through with uh, a little support for municipalities. This well, session. they are talking right now about flood relief. So I've been covering some of the discussions. I hope they... Pay attention. You're a good guy to talk to, to talk to talk. <laughs> so you must be. Well, we've got so much to talk about. You're up there a lot. We are. We're in the state house. That's you know one of the big functions that the league plays for municipalities. The way we were formed uh, more than 50 years ago was uh, to be a voice for the municipalities in the state house. Right. And you know what does that mean? Well, 
you know, in Vermont, we're a Dillon's Rule state, which means municipalities can only do what the legislature says they can do. We're creatures of the legislature, mm. creatures of the state. And so cities and towns, they get asked by their citizens all the time, yeah, we that. want you to solve global warming. We want right. you to, you know, Wrong. do X, Y, and Z. Well, we can't do anything unless the legislature says, hey, towns, yeah. you can do this in statute. We're going to authorize you to do that. So we spend a lot of time up there trying to give towns the ability to respond to the local uh, voters' uh, requests. Well, you are a great resource. Besides the legislature, you're a great resource. Mm-hmm. I love, I always look at your website. You have mm-hmm. got more stuff on there. It is incredible. Oh, thanks what for you, saying What that. you do, that's true. I There's- mean, the reports on what's going up in the state house, the 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 other things you do, your your resource library is like stunning. It's amazing. Thanks for saying that. And I, you know, I think a lot of select board members, city councilors, planning commission members, they rely on the league's resources right. to help them do their job. You know, we create job aids to to help them understand yep. what their a lot roles of training. are. Yep, we train them. Yep. We we actually just yesterday up at the Best Western here in my, in uh, Waterbury, we had our annual town meeting tune up where we had about 90 to 100 town moderators from around the state no kidding. Uh, participate in the town meeting tune-up. This guy, Ed Chase, out in Westford, who's been the moderator there right. for years, right. literally wrote the book on moderating. Uh, and it's so amazing to to watch these moderators share war stories, to get tips from each other, how right. to deal with you know r- rulings on the floor, how to stay so impartial. It's such a cool and exciting thing. We had one guy uh, yesterday who had been town moderator for 43 years. Whoa, is that Paul Gillies by any chance? Uh, I don't know. know. (laughs) He's been in our town. He took Ruth Town's place. That's that's how far back it goes. But anyway, um, so we are very glad because you had some tough shoes to, to follow. I followed uh, some great leaders yes, of the league. Yes, you did. Steve Jeffrey, who everybody knew, yep. who'd been there for about 30 years. And then we had Maura Carroll, who was a executive director for five years, who was a, a municipal attorney and wow. really knew her stuff. And uh, spent a couple of decades over in New Hampshire doing this kind of work. So it's, it is certainly big shoes. Good job. Excellent. So let's get started. I wanted to talk about... Um, some things you've been very busy on, I'll say the word ethics. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, we've done some shows on ethics with uh, Christina Severett. Um, and we had Mike McCarthy in as well, the chairman of House GovOps. Um, so I know you've been up there a lot. They want to do, well, last couple of years, they implemented a statewide ethics on all three branches of government. Um, some kicking and screaming, but there you go. Um, and now they wanted this year to pass that on to the municipalities. And first, I have to apologize. I'm going to do it on air, Ted. <laughs> I, I did not hear you testify, but I read your letter to them about um, your objections. But I misread it, and I said, oh, the league is supportive. And then I heard you testify, and I went, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I got that a little wrong, so maybe I apologize. So thanks, there you go. Pat, thanks for saying that. I don't think you need to, though, because we are supportive of municipal ethics, right? We're, we're How not, can you not? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That'd be a hard position yeah, but, to take. Exactly. Be out of a job. But we're not supportive of the way the legislature is considering doing it this year. And and that's largely, as you probably heard from Christina and Mike and, and Representative McCarthy, the State Ethics Commission is just barely learning to walk. Uh, it has not effectively held anybody accountable right. uh, for violating ethics. It has not effectively put in place uh, uh, systems that uh, that – 
you know, hold people accountable to the state ethics code yet. And by people, I mean state office holders, state employees, go down the list. Like, it's still learning to do that. It's very new and very nascent. And our belief is teach the ethics commission to walk before you teach it to run. And running would be giving oversight over municipalities uh, immediately and putting the ethics commission in between the voters uh, and uh, and the and and the municipal official that doesn't make much sense to me right now. I could be convinced otherwise, but right now, this, the state ethics commission should focus on ethics at the state level. Yeah, well, and they don't have um, certainly not for the three branches any enforcement powers. Right. Um, they can issue um, I forget what they call it their letters advisory. Uh, opinions. Thank you, advisory opinions, um, and they can say not good, but there's no real uh, enforcement and. Um, those of us who do support ethics, because um, I'm with Campaign for Vermont, and they're very supportive of that, um, you have to have a little enforcement, but having that discussion with the three branches. <laughs> uh, right. That's well, big. That's a toughie. And don't forget, one of those branches has, you know what, 8,000 employees. Right. And that's a big yep. undertaking. <clears throat> what? What? Uh, about four years ago now, the legislature passed a law that required every town to have a conflict of interest policy. Right. The Vermont League of Cities and Towns created a model conflict of interest policy that many towns have adopted. And in addition to creating that model, we've been providing an annual ethics and conflict of interest training. Oh, perfect. So uh, what we really would like to see municipalities do is set firm and clear standards for themselves as the law requires. Some haven't gotten to it yet because it takes time. Right. Uh, And then in addition to that, we would love – for the legislature to recognize that the voter should be able to hold elected officials accountable. Right now in the state of Vermont, there's about a dozen communities that have the ability to do uh, recall elections. It's something oh. that the legislature needs to authorize. It's right. not, it doesn't, Vermont municipalities don't have the right to do it. The only communities that have the right to do it are those that have passed charters. Interesting. That have it in it. They just passed a charter for, I think, Essex Junction that included uh, recall authority. So the legislature's given some municipalities this authority, but that would be a really good tool um, paired with a conflict of interest policy and ethics policy that towns need to adopt and then say, if you break this, the ultimate consequence is when you're censured by your fellow select board members right. or planning commission members, the uh, the voter can come forward and say, Bye. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be... Uh, you know what my concern is? And um, when I was commissioner of motor vehicles, I made every employee, I walked them over to the state house and... Showed them around. I figured as long as you're working across the street and we're here yeah. because of them, you should get to know them. And one time I'm walking with an employee and I looked at her and she is shaking. I'm not kidding. Sweating, shaking. And, and I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, I've never been in here before. And I, I'm, af- I'm afraid. I don't know what to expect. And I thought to myself when this ethics discussion came up, how many employees, how many members of the public can walk over to the judiciary and complain about one of the judges or, or go, you know, complain about a state's attorney or complain about a legislature? That's a toughie. Or in, in the yeah. local, complain about the, the chair of the select board. That's. It's intimidating. Yeah, for sure. I and, think we all take that for, for granted. Government is intimidating. Yep, it is. Even at the most local level. And that's why when you go to town meeting and you watch your neighbors stand up, you really are in awe. You're like, boy, 
this person has gutsy. Exactly. Well, I, you know me, I just, I just walked across, but, um, but I was so shocked that she was scared to death. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is wrong. This is your house. It's the people's house. Some of the more recent drafts, Ted, had, um, um, more requirements for disclosure, um, before, um, they become officers or whatever in, in the town. And I'm, I, I don't know if they're the same. It looks like there's more information required than of, um, candidates running for office. Yeah. So this is one of those, uh, one of the difficulties of just taking a state approach and applying it to municipalities. There are two different municipal ethics bill, ethics bills right now. One is a state ethics bill and one is a municipal ethics bill. The state ethics bill that the, the legislature is considering would enhance the um, disclosure requirements, would enhance uh, the ability for the commission to investigate complaints right. as opposed to just issue uh, opinions. Uh, it also would put uh, county officers such as sheriffs and judges under the jurisdiction of the State Ethics Commission. The second bill is a municipal ethics uh, bill that does not include all of that, but what it does do is require um, all municipal officials to adhere to the to a statewide code of ethics. The problem I have with that is um, – when a municipality is operating like a select board, you know, they adopt their own rules and their own policies and procedures, and that's what they right, follow. Right. When they're told to follow something that just exists in statute, it's different. So the way it works now is municipalities have to adopt a conflict of interest policy. That's good practice. So what I've been advocating is why don't we just follow that same model and say towns have to adopt an ethics policy. And that ethics policy should have a standard of conduct. Uh, which could be based on the models, the, the state policy, and then a way to hold people accountable. And those are the, those are the things that we're advocating for. That's great. I must say, having served for years in Berlin, and I'm back again, I can't get enough of it. Um, I'm doing the economic development um, committee, but. There's not many people that volunteer in a town, and I always say it's the same 10 people that are on all the committees. So there is sort of an inherent um, possibility for conflict. There really you know? is, right? Yeah. Conflict's pretty common. Uh, yeah. Spouses serve. I mean, I was uh, hearing about Halifax, Vermont, the town clerk. And the select board chair were married. <laughs> oh, there you go. And they were there for something like 40 years. Wow. And it wasn't because there was some sort of conspiracy. It was because these two people were the ones that stepped forward right, exactly. and, and ran. Exactly. And the town celebrated them when they retired last year. So it, it wasn't like an acrimonious <laughs> relationship. But you're right. The conflicts do exist. Another reason that you can't just take the state uh-huh. conflict of interest policy or the state right. code of ethics and apply it to municipalities. For example, it makes sense that a municipality a state employee couldn't leave the state and within a year uh, get a job where they might be representing a client before the state. Right. In a town <laughs> where you have a road foreman right. that perhaps is a select was a select board member, then got hired as a road foreman, and then leaves that road foreman position right. and happens to drive a backhoe in this town of 500 people, and a flood comes and they need that guy to drive a backhoe. Right. Like that municipal a conflict of interest policy should recognize that. The state conflict of interest policy doesn't recognize those inherently 
um, symbiotic right. and complicated relationships that exist in a town of yeah. 500 or 1,000 people. So if this comes to the town and you're saying, who who administers? I'm trying to think in Berlin. I don't know. I've had that discussion. Who looks over the ethics and, and challenges? I mean, is that the town administrator? Is that the select board? And what if there's a member of the select board that's been uh, tapped? What, how does that work? Yeah, so... You know, uh, the the proposal on the street right now <laughs> would require each town to appoint somebody who's ah. kind of the municipal ethics ombudsman from each town. But then the the concept is that the the board itself holds people accountable. So if you're a citizen that's unhappy with the conduct of a select board member, you'd make a complaint, and <laughs> that select board would then have that conversation and decide right. whether or not to admonish that person uh, in public uh, and have a process. In addition to that, this new law would say you can call the state ethics commission as a citizen, right, and, and make a complaint about a select board member. Uh, and claim that they've broken some ethics right. violation. The Ethics Commission then would have the ability to investigate and write a, um, a an opinion. Right. For the, at this point, for the municipal level, that opinion then could be made public. Right. And that opinion could obviously embarrass a, uh, a municipal official. Yeah. Uh, and the idea, I think, is holding people accountable by public shaming. Right. At this point, uh, is is the goal. I don't think that's good practice. That's, I think it would be better if you know the voter could hold the person accountable through things like recall and right. um, you know censure from the uh, the select. Board. It's tough in a small town because truly everybody does know everybody, if not related. So that's yeah. <laughs> and the 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 one person that always sticks out in my mind was Tom Lozon from when he was mayor of of uh, Barry and he was a construction and, and, and when he was mayor and sitting on the council, he'd get down and I have to recuse myself and he goes sit in the audience. And, and I saw that in action with him. He was always very good at that, but other meetings I've been in, not just in Barry, but elsewhere, you're like, Hmm, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's this? You're right. Pat. That's, I think most people serving these positions know what municipal ethics are and know that right. what conflicts of interest are and know that they need to recuse themselves. I, I think well, it's not a widespread problem. It does pop up occasionally. I get it. Yeah. Well, it's small world as yes. they say anyway. So I just, um, and I think you, you're saying your argument when I was reading, finally reading the letter correctly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they usually, they usually do it themselves because every town's different and the dynamics are different. Um, and there are some positions that they actually, when I read it, they sort of missed, um, that I would have included in that list, but that should maybe up to, I don't know. I don't know how to judge it. Yeah. I know they want it to be, it's not a, the ethics itself, what they've proposed is pretty basic. I mean, it's not, um, and you, and the town, it's like the federal legislation. You could make it stricter. So the yep. town could add to it if they wanted. So could the other three branches of government. Yep. But you can't get any lower or yep. less um, than what's what the the floor is. It's really, right. it's pretty obvious stuff. It is. I, I don't think you know some of the terms uh, are are pretty interchangeable. The problem is if you, as as I believe the legislation does and the state ethics commission is trying to make happen, it takes the state code of ethics, which applies to people who are. Paid to do their job, right, right. and who uh, therefore have a career that they, you know, they're they're moving on, and it applies pretty much verbatim 
everything from the conflict of interest to the uh, pro- prohibition on post employment, you know, post office employment. Oh, that's not. Oh, I didn't all know of that. those things into the municipal um, realm, and, and that's inappropriate. It's yeah. just it's not the same. So what I'm what I'm arguing is direct municipalities to adopt a. Uh, an ethics policy that's based on some some clear definitions right. in law that, that they put in law, and then uh, give towns the ability to hold themselves accountable, yeah. and use the um, use the commission as a as a resource. Yeah. Interesting, I see that. Good. Can we move on? Because I loved yeah. your letter. <laughs> I must tell you, um, the employment vacancies to. Post, you have to explain that one because <laughs> they want all of the municipal positions to be posted, but there's a little problem with that. So, yes. well, yeah. So the, there's a there's legislation out there right now that would uh, require towns uh, and all municipalities to post any employment vacancy they have to post uh, the salary for every employment vacancy they have and down the list. And uh, our big objection to that is there's nowhere else in law that requires anybody else to do that. Uh, and so why do you tell municipalities they have to do this? Why are you micromanaging a personnel policy of a, of a municipality? Right. You know, my guess is some legislator feels their town did something wrong at some point or hired a police chief or a clerk, somebody they didn't like. Right. And that's not a reason to legislate. So show me the data that says we have a problem. Because when I look at my classifieds on our website, which anybody who's looking for a job in municipal government, which is a great job, that's go to VLCT.org. There's yeah. about 50 positions listed. There, if you go to Indeed, there's about a hundred municipal positions listed. You know, look in seven days. There's a couple of dozen positions listed every week for municipal right. employment. Towns are advertising these jobs. And and you write in the letter you mentioned about how long it does take the process to get it posted in, in on the state website. It takes a little while. Um, and I must say. And I think it's more town administrators. If a town comes to the league, you assist them in in running this search. Um, and you've helped us out in Berlin several times and presented some great candidates. And and uh, our folks who, you know, we only have a handful of people working there. They don't have the time sometimes to do all of this. You really provide a great service. Well, thanks for saying that. We do about a half dozen to a dozen manager recruitments every right. year or administrator recruitments uh, in partnership with towns. In addition, to that, we have a former police chief, Trevor Whipple, who's a police chief in South uh, in South Burlington and in Barry. Yeah, uh, he now works for us, and he consults almost on every single police chief hiring that happens Excellent. in the state. I love Trevor. Yeah, he's a great guy. Super. One of the other weird things about this legislation is it, it doesn't, you know, they they don't consider what an employee is. So let's say you have an appointment on the planning commission or an appointment uh, in the clerk or an assistant clerk. Does that mean that needs to be uh, publicly advertised for so many days? Does it does a salary need to be published? All of those types of things. So I think that that bill needs a little more time to uh, to uh, incubate in its yeah. egg before hatching. Well, and you also mentioned that there are some positions that are emergencies. Right. In certain times of the year, like snow plowing, yeah. uh, and if your guy leaves or woman, sorry, but if your if your person leaves, you need somebody like now. Yep. You can't wait till spring. Right. There are plenty of emergency situations where you can't wait the thirty days it might take to post and, right. and, and such. I think up in Alberg or Isle of Mont this year, you know, the town clerk uh, left and they 
need to appoint a new clerk. Right. They have to wait and publish right. that. Right. Just some things don't make sense. Well, good. I'm glad you're there. For the, here's the one. It's We have one minute before we take a break, so I'm just going to tee this up. I think it's higher than this now. Property tax... Yesterday was 20.5, but I thought I heard this morning it zacked up to 20.6%. You don't want to know what I'm supposed to remain neutral, but people that know me know I posted something on Facebook. That yeah, just said, I may have seen that. Really, Pat. people? <laughs> have you tried spending less? Just a thought. <laughs> Six percent property tax increased. Take it away, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, the education fund, like I said, is gobbling up the lunch of municipalities because uh, the only funding most municipalities get is from the property tax. And we know most select boards and others recognize what's happening on the Ed Fund side and said, well, we have to pinch our pennies over here on the municipal side. And the result is things like roads, public safety, rec programs, they get pinched because of the growth of the Ed Fund. And the Ed Fund has just continued to grow, and the municipal side has had to continue to shrink. And that percentage of tax going to municipalities has shrunk as the percentage of tax going to uh, the schools has uh, increased. And what's so hard, right? You sit here and you say we're paying so much more money, and we're not getting much more. Exactly. The yeah. ROI, they call yeah. that return on investment with our kids, isn't there? Yeah. And, and you know, the league uh, was supportive of the implementation of the pupil waiting uh, study that occurred because of, of equity issues. Yeah. Uh, but when we were testifying, we said, while you're doing this, you really need to think about cost containment because right. you're not doing anything in the legislation that, uh, on pupil waiting or anything in legislation, period, yeah. to uh, to say, hey, this um, this costs. We need to talk about why it's costing so much. And so, what is what what does it mean to to try to reduce uh, the the inputs into that system every year? Yeah, and what's what's troubling, I think, is people truly still don't understand how they come up with that twenty. That it's sort of a collective statewide thing. And right. while you try so hard in many towns, not all, yeah. but many, to to save as much as you can, you still get hit. And um, every year or so in in our town, we try to explain it. But it's hard. It's difficult to explain how that they come up with that percentage. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say from my personal perspective, not the league's perspective, I don't think this is a problem until people start voting down school budgets. Right. And until that happens, nobody's going to recognize it as a problem at, at the policymaker right. level. And and maybe to that point, maybe Vermonters don't think it is a problem and it's just some policymakers that see this as an issue. But um, that's when I think, you know, for, from a municipal perspective, that's how you know that your municipal budget is bad. Right. And on the same front, if people really feel strongly that 20% is too much, no matter how it got there, they have the opportunity yeah. to vote. And right. And at some point, that's the indicator that I look to and say, it's time to change. Yeah. Well, I, I this, it really hit me. I don't know why, and I'm not supposed, I'm supposed to be neutral, but 20, that's, re, that's I'm retired, you know? I have Xbox. <laughs> and the more they take, I have less than Xbox. I have yes. Xbox minus whatever. I, it's just, it's staggering to me. And you're right. Then then we all start complaining about the roads and, and, uh, and all that, and the police coverage and all that stuff. Yep. Um, Every penny that goes into the ad fund is a penny that's not going to everything else that right. your municipality needs to do. Yeah. And we still, I believe, we used to be first in the nation for cost per student. I think now we're down to second. <laughs> so we're, we're headed in the right direction, but not quite a lot, just one one step down. That's We spend a lot of money, and is it there? But uh, And what also, I'll get off this subject in a minute, um, 
nationwide or global, we are 25th in, say, there's, I don't know, 50 nations or something. We're like in the middle of the pack. So when we're bragging about being in the higher end of our pack, we're still the higher end of being in the middle of the pack, if that makes sense. So we're not getting... We should be getting a lot more for the yeah. money we spend. Oh, I, I just think you look at it and say, how does how do, how do costs go up 20% but nothing changes in your school? Right. And obviously it's really complicated and the pandemic assistance that came right. in uh, has really thrown a, a loop in this. And then uh, the CLA, the, the appraisal issue, yep. assessment issues, uh, throwing a loop in this. There's so many things. And to your point, it's this complicated statewide yep. funding formula that – Nobody except for a few people in the Golden Dome can understand. In our town, it's Tom Pelham. He's yes, the only yeah, one who understands. That's a good one. <laughs> we call him all the time. <laughs> Explain this to me. Um, that reminds me when when um, there's no requirement for municipalities to do um, assess. What is it? Assessments. Reappraisals. Thank you. It seems to me it should be mandatory every five years. That's my pitch, because we got nailed. Berlin didn't do one for like. 18 years yeah. and we got nailed through the eyeballs uh, so i mean we just we were we just died that year it was amazing but yeah, if you do it in increments yeah. it's better and you know where you, and you get more money something so there is a requirement for towns to to do a reappraisal the department of tax property valuation division uh actually sets you know says, doesn't set those rules the legislature does but pvr monitors that stuff and right now i think uh, more than 150 of our municipalities are under reappraisal orders really good because they've they've come out of whack last year the legislature uh, changed the the law to try to soften that because uh, there are not enough people who do this kind of work well that's to a meet problem the need right. the proper we've had a wild 10 years in property valuation right, right? Um, but there was a bill last year. The legislature uh, passed a bill. It's a two-year study to try to implement a new system. Um, one of the things they directed the Department of Tax to do is to set towns on a regular schedule so that right. every – I think, believe the, the rule that they came up with is once every six years your town would have okay. to – Go to reappraisal. Uh, and again, it sounds good, but the problems there, the state pays for the reappraisal uh, usually through a, a small per parcel fee that towns then get, and they save that money up until they do their reappraisal. That money is good for like once every 10 years. So this is another state unfunded mandate right. to the towns to uh, say you're going to do your reappraisal more often. It's going to cost you twice as much money. We're not going to give you more money. Um and right. they're trying to centralize the reappraisal process to the state. So, you know, every town elects listers or appoints listers. They oftentimes hire appraisal companies to do this right. work. Uh, this this study suggests that the state should take over all of those responsibilities. So if you're a property owner and you want to appeal your property valuation, right now you can go to your town. You can go to your lister and say, I appeal this. What happens when the state takes over? I don't know about you, but I don't yeah, trust that no. I could have access to I'd the state. I'd be against like, that. I could have access to a list. Yeah. Yeah, I would be against it. But I, I, and I didn't realize about the money thing. I don't think my town could afford that. So there you go. <laughs> Stuck Town, again. Towns are, you know, town, the, the grand list is a partnership between the towns and the state. And that's what we think the state should recognize. There might be ways to improve the process. Like you said, putting on a schedule. Right. There might be ways, if you did that, the state should pony up more money for, for sure. parcel to, to fund these towns to do the reappraisals more often. 
there also might be specialized properties. Think like, uh, you know, big electric generation facilities that the state might be in a better position to value right. than a volunteer lister. Ah, that's true. Something so, over X, X amount, yes. acreage or something. Let them do that. Interesting. So there are, there are improvements that could be made, but I just caution the town should not be taken out of the equation yep. of creating and maintaining the grant list. I agree with you <laughs> for sure. And listen, we have a few more minutes before we take another break, but I want to talk about the, BE Home Bill. First, you have to tell me what BE stands for. Ah. I've been trying to find that out for days. What is BE? <laughs> I don't know, and I'm ah. embarrassed to say it. I love uh, it. Thank you. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, we have a call. I'll save you from the embarrassment. It's Will from Lincoln. Will, you're on the phone uh, on the air with Ted and I. Go ahead. Hi, hi, Ted. Pat. Uh, hi, Ted. I, I remember you when you were the Omsbud person for. Um, who was it? God, was I an ombudsperson? Maybe at the agency of commerce. For, for like, oh, uh, commerce. Uh, Jeffords or? Oh, Jeffords. Oh, yeah, oh, for, yes. for Senator Leahy back yeah, in the yeah, yeah, early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. I, met, I met with you uh, down uh, down in Addison County. Uh, uh, all three of the ombudspersons uh, came together. We had a meeting about transportation. Nice. Yeah, with the regional planning commission. I remember that evening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. with Jeff no, Munger from Senator Sanders. Oh, Jeff Munger. I love Jeff. Yeah. Miss him. Yeah. Go ahead, Will. You have a question? Um, yeah, so I, I uh, well, uh, I also wanted to say that that uh, you were talking about moderators before. I was um, I was the moderator for the Vermont League of Cities and Towns for oh. a couple of years, and had the uh, had the pleasure of uh, moderating the uh, annual meeting. Uh, with uh, Senator Leahy in attendance. Ah, thanks, Great. Will. Thanks for doing that. That's our annual meetings can get kind of spirited. That's one <laughs> yeah, of my was, favorite that events. Was, uh, that was when we had the uh, the Northeast Kingdom um, uh, windmill insurrection. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun to moderate. Let me tell you. That's great. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I think the you know the the problem is that we've got a we've, we've got a non-existence governance model for education you know you look at it so i was an engineer and you know if i look at this from a systemic uh you know from a systems point of view you don't have the controls where the monetary decisions are being made you have a global you have a global state tax that's being imposed but then you've got 250 local points of, of control and the only way for for their for their as you as you pointed out the only way for there to be any kind of monetary control on this is that we all have to go to town meeting and vote down our school budgets which is really ridiculous because you know I don't want to stop the Lincoln community school right. or from from working I don't want to vote down their budget to send a message what what I would like is I would like the, the state says because of Brigham that that the state is responsible for education I would like the state to be be responsible. I would like the state to be responsible for the moni- for, for the monetary governance of our education system. You know, it, it, you look at look at the needs that have gone unaddressed in in uh, physical plant. I mean, Mount Abraham is is getting is getting into the second half of its century uh, of service. It, it, it's it's really not a a, a good functioning physical plant. And, and that and according to the list of assessments that I just read from uh, from uh, the Department of Education, it's not the worst high school in the state. No. <laughs> Which really surprises what me. Was it two billion dollars a need? Right? There was some un- yeah, ridiculous. Number. Right. <laughs> right. So what you know, and and, and what I'm hearing is that the the solution from the state is well, we're going to we're going to go to we're going to do a, a joint municipal and state bonding no no state 
Brigham says you're responsible. State, be responsible. This is the thing I hated as a town official, is Montpelier likes to tell people what to do. Montpelier never takes responsibility yeah. and does stuff. I think we call I think, that unfunded I mandate, Brigham right? told Montpelier that, Montpelier, you're responsible. You do this. What I want to see is I want to see Montpelier be responsible and start to do stuff. And stop pushing it on local officials. Well, the trouble is, Will, for my, it's all I keep thinking. It's somehow we help the state pay for it. Somewhere it's it comes out of our pocket, whether it's local or state, right? I yeah, mean, I they got to come up with that money somehow. Will nails it though. Yeah. When you when you're on a school board and you are trying to exercise that local policy control, yeah. you really you have very little governance, you have very little sure. budgetary control as a school board, right? When you put a budget together, like four out of the five things that control your budget are are to. to the directed by They're the state. Right. That, no, he's yeah. right. And the contracts and everything, it's all predetermined. Yeah. And all yeah. these things we're doing come down to two things, like governance and, bud, and and money. And when you take basically those two things away from a local governance body, you've really yeah. undermined the system. So I don't know what the solution is, Will, but I, I hear you. Yeah. I also <laughs> would like to see people show up at the school board meetings. No one, very few people show up to give them support either. So um, that would be a good thing. Ted has to leave a little bit before 10. So I've got a question for you all. The number here is 244-1777. And if Senator Hinsdale is, what does BE stand for? I'm deciding maybe it's the word B, B at home. The bill says BE home bill. And we need to talk about housing and how it's impacting municipalities and all of us. Yeah, housing's the number one thing our towns are telling us they're concerned about. There's not enough affordable housing in their communities. They can't find cops and firefighters because they they can't live in their communities. So the league has been fighting to try to, uh, in the state house, to try to promote uh, the promotion of and and development of housing around the state. And there seems like there's this great opportunity all summer long. They studied Act 250. Mm. And they studied ways to make the system better so that we could greenlight more housing. The grand concept, you should read the NRB report if you haven't, folks. Get out there and read the um, uh, Natural Resource Board uh, uh, report on uh, ways to incentivize development where we want it and to disincentivize development where we don't want it. Because that is a great roadmap to a, a way that we could get more housing built in Vermont. So the Be Home Act generally puts that report in into uh, legislation that makes some changes to to laws they did last year around municipal zoning, which I think is the wrong focus, but I understand they're, they're working on. Uh, the House is uh, looking at a companion bill, this big tripartisan housing bill that would make it easier to develop and reduce regulations as well as invest some more uh, money in, into housing. But, boy, if you want some entertainment, watch the governor's press conference from yesterday. Oh, really? Because this report and this grand bargain that people are talking about where we're going to incentivize growth in some places and make it harder to grow in other places, everyone has this idea that this is a good place to get to. However, the 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 places where we don't want to grow, grow growth, uh, the current bill would – take 90% of the state and make it off limits and call them critical resource areas. That's not the don't. deal we all thought we were working on. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that's the deal the legislators uh, want either. I think it's, you know, interpretation of wording. So there's a lot going on this year, and I'm still hopeful we'll get Well, to and I think they're always trying to push downtown, that we should yeah. live in downtown. Um 
And has the term Act 250 come up? Uh, to me, that's sort of the, the key because everybody I've ever talked to, builders, construction people, they just want predictability. Tell them that nothing's going to change. You go through Act 250 and things could change upside down in a minute. Yeah. It's so really bad. This is the big compromise. We're the, what everyone keeps talking about, we're going to take Act 250 and we're going to eliminate Act 250's jurisdiction in places where we want growth. Whoa. That means in your designated centers, but also the proposal is to map pieces of land where it is not environmentally sensitive. You don't need to do a review of whether or not there are, you know, red-toed newts living right. in downtown uh, <laughs> St. Johnsbury because that's where we need people to live. Right. In exchange for that, you're not going to have Act 250 jurisdiction in your downtown. We're going to say in certain places you're going to have additional jurisdiction. We're going to have forest frag yeah. uh, rules that yeah. say you can't, you know, develop in a, f- a sensitive forest. And what I'm finding right now in the legislature, they're having a hard time deciding where those lines are. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. I, uh, I've been listening to a couple of the committee. Thank goodness I'm on Zoom and I can't, they can't hear me yelling. <laughs> My husband comes up, he goes, what? And so I tell him, what's, I'm upstairs yelling. But anyway, um, there was quite a few other things we needed to talk to Ted about. Maybe we'll have him back before the legislature breaks for t- town meeting. That's a biggie for you guys. Yeah, sure is. And if Show you've been up, listen- people. Yeah, if you've been listening to your ads on WDEV in partnership with Nemerick, VLCT is trying to promote uh, a couple of good stories about municipal governance. And uh, Susan Clark, kind of the goddess of town meeting, the moderator from uh, from Middlesex who wrote the wrote the book on town meeting, not just in moderating like Ed Chase. Uh, she's If you haven't heard the great ads that are running right now encouraging people to show up at town meeting in March, please do. Uh, right. We need you. We need democracy uh, in action to combat the craziness that's happening out there mm-hmm. in the national let it be a little bit more than the usual 50. In my yes. town, they go to the pre-town meeting and they go to the town meeting. And it's the same, it's the same 50. And it, we need to broaden that a little bit. You've got to get involved, people. Yes, please. Uh, do. Especially this year with uh, uh, schools and, and all the issues. Um, Tom Pelham did a show. I've, I'm trying to get him back on a couple of years ago about questions to ask huh. at town meeting about your school budget. Huh. And it was fascinating. And I'm tracking him down, trying to get him to come back on here and uh, and talk about we need a little help on what questions to ask. If you don't know what to ask, it's kind of tough to raise your hand. And I don't like it. Well, why? That's right. Uh, well, as we started this conversation, uh, government is intimidating. Yeah. And uh, I think when you see a neighbor stand up, realize that they've overcome that intimidation because they really feel strongly about something. And right. You shouldn't be embarrassed about feeling strongly about something. Well, you see, we have Dave Delcor there, too. So it's, it's like you write your name down. Pat McDonald. Ted Brady, thank you so much for coming in. We Great know we have that. to let you go. So you've got five minutes, people. Call in and uh, let's chat about this 20.6% property tax increase. Number here is 2441777. Thank you very much, Mr. Brady. We'll Thanks, have you Pat. back. Great to see you. Thanks. Bye-bye. And when is your town your town annual meeting? That's the best event ever. Uh, Seriously. October 2nd and 3rd oh. in Killington this oh. year. Oh, Killington. Yes. I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, I, I love it. I swear that luncheon alone is worth the trip down there. <laughs> Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. You too. All right, folks. So um, a couple of the other things I thought I'd just run by what we were going to ask Ted. And I, um, we were talking about Governor Scott's budget and what it means for municipalities. Of course, once he submits it to the legislature, it becomes 
their budget, but uh, he started out on the right track. Uh, they also have a county governance study committee, um, which uh, I think they're looking at whether we need to establish counties here in Vermont and can't afford what we have, but that's just a personal comment. Um, and uh, they're also looking at the proposed changes to open meeting laws, which is forever an issue. Oh, we have Bill from Tunbridge. Bill, thanks for calling in. How you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Uh, not too bad. A little worried about the tax increases. I know. Isn't it amazing? Well, it is, it's, it's scary, actually. But I, I, what I think is would be a big help is to um, implement Australian ballots. You can still have your meeting and have pie and all that. Yep. Everyone that – because that's what the problem is. There's about 10 or 15 – you know – 10% of the people go to the school budget. Exactly. And it's, there's not enough people, and there's all these other people in town that have to work or don't want to go down and be, you know, the Debbie Downer. Yeah. Well, and one year, I know in our town, we did a video of our budget and and put it on public access. And a lot of people, because you need to, uh, Australian ballot is is good, and we get a lot more people to vote, but they need to understand what they're voting for. And that that always bothers me, uh, that if they, you just look at a number and go, oh, too much, too little, you need to understand what you're paying for. Um, And uh, in our town, we've sort of stopped presenting. Uh, these budgets and you know they'll stand up and say any questions and like no <laughs> you tell me what's what's uh what's in that budget but uh no you're right have you do you have australian ballot in your town i thought we were all doing that no no huh they're fairly resistant to it but i guess i have to bring it up at the select board but that's a yeah, like you say, it's an intimidating thing. Yeah, it is to, to stand up. Yeah, go. But you can. You know, what you do is bring some notes. That's I always find that handy to kind of look back and remember because I go. Believe it or not, I even go a little blank with all my talking. But um, it's it's good to get them out and uh, um, get them involved. You've got to vote. Well, it's, it's yeah. There's a lot of people that don't get the chance. It's yeah, because they have to work. You know, I'll just say, oh, we'll make it, you know, a holiday. Well, you have early voting, though, do you not? Uh, excuse me? You have early voting where you can get your ballots early and, and that stuff. Well, yes. Yeah. Definitely. But you still need to know, and I think the towns and, and municipalities need to do a little bit better outreach on getting people informed. If, like you say, they can't come to town meetings. So but there's our um, music, Bill. Thank you so much for calling in. Okay. Uh, the message is vote, people. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll talk about this before a town meeting comes around. Uh, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. Coming up, I have Sarah Londeville, who is with the Vermont Center of Independent Living, and they are celebrating, get this, their 45th year in service to our elderly and disabled. So stay tuned. Stay tuned.